Welcome, everyone, to the Entertainment Buffet Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Brandon Prosek. Jessica Quaz is still out for a little bit, and while she's working on some other things, I'm going to be having a rotation of some great guests coming along. Uh, this next guy is a producer of a new Netflix documentary that just dropped a little bit ago, uh, beginning of 2021. Jacob Matthew, how you doing, man? Hey, what's up, man? Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for coming on. Uh, uh, we saw your film on Netflix and, you know, we're, we're going to talk all about what that was like, you know, getting to work on a film that dropped on Netflix and uh, how we met. Uh, we went to the same, you know, middle school, high school. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, that sure did, bro. Back in uh, Geneva, Geneva, Illinois. Also for your, your YouTube watchers, anybody who's not Come on, get on YouTube, hit the subscribe button. Let's let's fucking go. <laughs> what I'm saying is, uh, my wife is in my apartment right now, getting her master's degree, and she was like, "Go to the car," and I was like, "You got it, no problem. I'm happy. <laughs> I'm in my car right now, doing this, and pumped about it." Yeah, for sure. That's that that's commitment. You know, it's and you know, you're still being social distance safe. <laughs> you're just chilling in your car. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, man. All of us are either at home or in our cars, uh, just depends on where our partners have kicked this out to be. So that's the idea. <laughs> For sure. Uh, yeah, it was weird. I was, I was thinking about it just the other day, how um, uh, this year, this last year was supposed to be our 10 year high school reunion. And Dude, you know, a little know. thing happened that, <laughs> a little pandemic happened to put that off for a little while. You, you know what's so funny about that is I saw that like some like the message come out that like they were going to try and do that before COVID had happened or whatever. And then um, I, I actually was going to think like, because I live in Los Angeles, so I, I'm not like close to Geneva or like we're outside Chicago, in the suburb of Chicago where you and I grew up. But like um, uh, I, uh, I was actually had a project that I was going to be flying across the country for. So I was going to be able to like have a layover in Chicago, go hang like with people and like say hello and then like head out. But alas, it got canceled. So yeah. Yeah. It's uh, certainly interesting times for sure. Uh, uh, but yeah, a lot, a lot has happened over the years. Um, before we uh, start talking about the film, uh, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. What have you been working on before this film? You know? uh, but yeah, so uh, my name is Jacob Matthew. Um, I'm a film producer. I live in Los Angeles. Um, but uh our, my film company is actually based in um, Philadelphia, funny enough. So um, when I first got into film, I had uh, my wife and I, uh, my wife Kate and I had moved uh, to Philadelphia. Oh man, in 2000 and, uh, you know, 14, 15, somewhere in that pocket. Um, so really kind of like pretty soon after college, I had moved out to Philadelphia. And, um, and then started getting into the film industry. Um, was waiting tables, bartending, doing the whole, you know, nine yard, just like trying to build a creative career. I had met a friend in that time and we started a film company. We built it up for about three years and then it totally failed. Went bad, totally <laughs> failed, did not work, all that stuff, like almost went under all those good things. So did that. And then in that process, I had uh, met a, uh, another uh, guy who I had worked with, um, uh, I'm a film producer, so the, the best way for someone who doesn't understand, uh, you know, what a film producer is or how that works within the industry, basically, I'm, uh, I am like the, if you could be a CFO and a COO of a film company, that's like what a film producer is, and then off you partner with a creative, like a director or a DP, a director of photography or something like that. So when I first moved to Philly, I'd found a uh, kind of a director that I liked. We built up a company. It failed. 
during that process, I had met this DP named Chris Newhard, who is a Philadelphia, a really great Philadelphia DP. And um, for a DP is the person who kind of is really shoot, like, like on a film, there might be a director, uh, well, there would be a director of a film, but the director doesn't necessarily operate the camera, which you know. So a DP is like the person, the director of photography is the person who really is operating the camera and crafting the image of, the, of a film. Um, so anyway, um, Chris Newhart's a great DP in Philly. We had met and become really good buddies. Similar kind of vibe. He was trying to build something. And, and I was like, hey, man, I can kind of come in and help you run the business side of this uh, while you continue to focus on the branding and creative and the, the look of what we're doing. And so Chris and I started a company. So then that was my second time trying to do this. And the <laughs> second time went great. I mean, to be honest, second time went great. So I probably started working with Chris. Man, I, 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 it was about two years ago. Uh, in February, actually, it'll have been only two years ago in February. Wow. I started working with Chris for real for the first time. I I was very broke and very uh, uh, had just had a company fail. And um, yeah, I started working with Chris about two years ago officially. And uh, yeah, we've grown really exponentially in the past two years, uh, have grown really fast. And so yeah, and then had our Netflix film come out uh, on New Year's Day. Yeah, for sure. Um... So yeah, the producer side, I, I, I've, I've had experience with that. It's, it's a lot of the logistical side, uh, but also having to coordinate with uh, the creative side as well. Um, so yeah. I feel like, especially when you're in the area where we are, where we're doing independent things, you're often wearing many hats. <laughs> For sure. So sure. I'm sure, you know, especially working on like this and some other things that you had to juggle multiple kind of like departments and responsibilities. Um, uh, was there a certain thing that when it came to like producing that drew you to like that side of it as well, or um, opposed to, you know, editing or writing or anything like that? Yeah. So before I did, um, I was in film, I, I used to do music. I used to be a musician. And so I was like a singer and a piano player and a guitar player and did that um, uh, pretty seriously uh, up until I transitioned into working in film. And um, I say, bring that up because it's kind of an important, it was an important kind of like light bulb moment for me of why I left music and got into film to try and become a film producer, which is that um, I think if I like sat down and play music, I think the most any average person like, oh, that sounds pretty good. Like that, he's all right. And I think that during my time really trying to like be a singer and like be a musician, I had this moment where I, I'd met a buddy, we were, in, we were, we kind of started a band and his name was Brandon. And Brandon was just such a good singer. I mean, just like so naturally good. Like I had taken voice lessons, I'd worked my ass off. Brandon could roll out of his bed, does not matter. He's just <laughs> killing it all of the time. And um, I think working with him really clicked a switch for me, which was, I realized that it doesn't actually really matter how hard I work at trying to become a professional singer. I'm never going to be John Legend. It's just not going to happen. It is not in the cards for me to do that. But during that time, I had realized I was always overcompensating by like being a really good, what I would call like uh, being good at creative leadership. So I was always really good at like building a band and building a culture and like trying to get people to come and like be a part of what I was trying to do. I was always really good at like that more like leadership side of it. And I think th this moment clicked where I was like, man, if there was a role where I didn't have to be the lead talent, but instead my role was like leading other talented people towards a goal, that would be awesome. And then, and then somebody was like, you should consider working in film. Film is like this unbelievably collaborative industry. 
uh, by definition, one person can't really make a film alone. Just underground. I mean, maybe YouTube's changed that game a bit, but like, um, you know, really uh, from a on, at scale for sure, there's no like you need a team of people to make a film. That's the way the film works. Where technically one person could sit down and write a song, one person can't really sit down and make a movie. Um, there's just too many parts that go into it. And so I, I learned about film. I kind of got interested in it, and I think my self awareness of admitting to myself that. I was never going to be the best singer in the world. That wasn't my ceiling. That was what made me go, well, what, what is my ceiling? What could my ceiling be? And I realized that like what I would kind of call creative leadership was. And so I was like, Hey, I'll, I'll just, Hey, flow, water flows where the rocks aren't, you know? So, Hey, how about I go try that? And uh, yeah, it's, it's gone well. My dream is always to become like a lead singer. And I let that dream die to become what I've been able to become now which I think is then almost like an interesting critique on, you know, it's okay to have dreams and like, you know, have these romantic dreams to some degree. But I think if you can somewhat get maybe even almost like anxiety control, like, like almost like if, if any one person listening to this could be like, hey, what if instead of asking the question, what do I want to do? If you ask the question, what am I good at? Yeah. And then you go, well, I'm great at this. Okay, well, maybe there's some doors that could open up for me if I really, you know, ran after that or something. So maybe, maybe a healthier question is, what is, what am I great at more than what is my dream? Um, so you started, you know, let's go back, you know, as far as uh, a couple of years ago, you know, you're just starting this company. Um, when mm -hmm. did, uh, which I guess we should say the film, it's uh, uh, the official title is Minimalist. Less is now. Uh, less is now. Yeah, dude, less is now. Yeah, the minimalists, less is now. Out of Netflix, go go go! Check <laughs> yeah, available on Netflix. <laughs> uh, drops. Right. Uh, yeah, Stream, drops. streaming worldwide. Streaming worldwide. Yeah, for sure. Um, so when did that project come around? Like for like your company, when? What was like kind of the timetable for that? Because from what I understood, because I I've heard about minimalism, you know, and like it, it but. I never seen like this documentary that was made before uh, about minimalism mm -hmm. or like, I think they have a podcast and or books, you know, like I haven't kind of met these guys that are kind of like the leads um, for the storytelling aspect of this documentary. Um, so did they just say like, Hey, we want to do another uh, documentary about this or like, when did, when did that all start for you guys? Yeah, I will, I will, I would, I'll ha happily tell that story and also maybe even to make it a nice leapfrog off of our, the conversation we were just having into this conversation is one last little note I would give anybody to encourage someone who's trying to like find their thing in life is sometimes it's better to ask, it's not, sometimes it's better to ask yourself the question, how can I add value to someone's life instead of how do I become successful? And I, that, I'll, let me use that as a jump off to tell, tell how we got connected with this film. So Chris, Chris Newhart and I uh, started a company doing commercial corporate work. That's most of what we were doing. To be fair, we still do a ton of that now, a ton. We will never not do uh, corporate and commercial work as long as we align with the people that we're working with. Um, we're going to keep doing that. It's just too profitable and too healthy for our business. It funds our own personal passion projects. We'll do that for some wing of our company. We'll do that for forever. Um, so we've been doing that. And we just really knew that with Chris's ability to just be an unbelievable good DP and filmmaker and my ability to build a business, we, we were really building this foundation of a production company that, that somebody could come in and, and utilize almost like as a car to you know, drive to whatever finish line they're trying to get to. And so Matt Diavella, who's the director of this film, his name is Matt Diavella. He's a very, very successful YouTuber. 
Uh, has like 3 million YouTube subscribers. He's been grinding on that for forever. Matt's a super good guy. Been doing that for a long time. Um, was living in LA. Um, Matt grew up in New Jersey. And Chris and Matt like go back a long way. They've known each other for a really long time. But Matt moved to LA, started doing his own thing, you know, becoming a filmmaker, all that kind of stuff. And uh, he had made that first, his first film, Minimalism, with the minimalists, uh, Joshua Fields Milburn and Ryan Nicodemus. Um, I think it was in 2015, so a long time ago, before I was even, you know, even doing any of this. And so they had made that film a long time ago. When that film got made, it was not made with Netflix. It was a true indie film. They, they just really put it together themselves. Chris, who's a good buddy of Matt, like almost pro bono, just like color corrected the film. For someone who doesn't know what color correcting is, um, after you've made the entire film, you've shot everything, you move, it's edited, it's, ed it's picture locked. Um, it mo moves into post-production, even after editing, which is where it, the sound mix happens. And then you actually color correct every single shot. Uh, so any movie you see, anybody's ever seen, um, it, was, it didn't look like that when they shot it. They color corrected in post-production. Yeah. So, um, Chris, I, you, you, I know that you know that. I prefer uh, for any. <laughs> no, no, no. I, uh, yeah, for sure. And I, I think part of me was more so like, uh, like dying inside because of like you know how time consuming it can be and like uh, oh, it's, it's such it's such a another part of like filmmaking that's like thankless and like so many people don't even know is part of the process. So I think I was more so yeah. flashing back to when I've edited things and had to do it even for only like a five minute video and yeah oh, it's, a, it's a process <laughs> well and i'll tell you so we colored uh, lessons now so I'll, I'll, I'll get into i'm happy to get into that a little bit but so so basically um chris had colored that film uh, chris is a good dp he's also a great colorist he just he's a good filmmaker so he had helped color that film for like nothing so uh super small credit that film got made a long time ago so that film weirdly did very well they netflix actually turned did not want that film it did so well independently that they then bought it on the back end. And then it became a film on Netflix, but it was minimalism is not a Netflix original film. It's just a film that's on Netflix. Gotcha. Um, a documentary. So then years go by, uh, Joshua uh, Fields Milburn and Ryan Gamus, that's The Minimalists. Them and Matt had been talking about making a second film. They had been pitching a couple ideas. And some something like three or four years ago, they had finally um really started to put together this idea for what became less is now they started independently trying to make some sales tapes uh a sales tape you know something that you might film uh really just on your own and you try and get that in front of uh you know someone to try and sell it so they had made a couple sales tapes and then i think after about a year and a half of just trying to get another idea out there they finally got netflix to be like all right we'll we'll we'll, we'll uh pretty low budget actually i actually the, the budget of the film is actually uh, surprisingly low compared to what like a netflix film budget would be netflix was like all right fine we like this we want to give you guys a second film we want it to be netflix original they actually first greenlit what's what they were calling a netflix special it would be just like a special it was going to be super short it was a small budget and so when they finally got the green light to make that they were like, awesome, we're gonna make a Netflix original. And then they were, oh shit, we can't just like make a Netflix movie. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so Matt called Chris and me and was like, hey, I need some help. I'm in deep water. I just like, got a green lit and I don't know how to do this. Like, uh, well, I mean, Matt's a great filmmaker, but like I'm making like a movie now. Uh, would you guys be interested in helping and being a part, become a part of that? And so I, I, that's why I brought up the add value thing because really we were just like hey matt how can we like add value and be a part of this and so we came on for a pretty low cost 
and just like we're like hey we you know this is a cool opportunity we'd be happy to do that we have two things we took some kind of like low um like not a lot of money kind of payment to come be on the film and then um the two caveats were we get a pre-roll production credit for Booklight, and chris and i both get our credits for a producer and dp and we get to finish the film and be the post-production vendor and like be an actual production company on this film and they were like done and so we made a contact and and that's what happened and so we came on the film at that point and so then everything that kind of got filmed at that point we we had shot it and worked with them to make the film from that point so um that's how we got connected to the film i didn't know the minimalists before the film now that we've made this film with them it ended up being a year and a half of making it before it kind of came out from it was probably a year and a half and yeah 2019 we came on the film and then it released january 1st 2021 so uh i've become really close with the minimalists they're like really good friends of mine i watch football at ryan's house like every weekend he's like a good buddy <laughs> of mine now and uh but they're really good guys and that is how we got onto the movie Okay, so that was one thing I was actually curious about because um, something that I noticed in the film was that it, it felt like it had for like the interviews almost a, I don't want to say a Zoom style, but I was wondering, I was like, how much of this was affected by the pandemic? Like when that when was like your filming, uh, when was like, when did shooting start? And then when did, were you officially in post? Because I was curious if the pandemic had uh, a thing to play with it. It did. So um, what happened was we had shot, so the, the two main interviews with um, the minimalists, uh, the, the main like talking heads that were in, this, in, in the warehouse, we filmed all those. We filmed uh, all the reenactment scenes. There's a ton that did not get make it in the film. We shot like twice as many as are in the film. Um, some of them I really liked too that just like didn't make the final cut. Um, and then we kind of periodically found all the experts and like did interviews with them on one-offs after that. Like we just send Chris and Nashville to go interview Dave Ramsey. And then we like had Matt just sit down and hit a few of them in LA. Like those happened pretty, uh, you know, just like as they made sense and, and as the schedules aligned with all of those people. So and was this we uh, 2019 this was happening? Probably, probably end of 2019. It was... So we shot the movie movie in 2019. That's correct. And in, in October, November, 2019. So we shot okay, so right at the tail end there. Yeah, yeah. And we, Chris and I actually had to go to Australia for a shoot right afterwards. So we shot that and like left for Australia like the, like the next day. So it was like, uh, we were traveling like crazy that end of 2019. And then 2020 started coming. We had a few of those expert interviews that happened early 2020. Uh, we had like one of them we had to do during COVID. We just did it really safe and whatever. And like did actually all the COVID precautions that we do in like the filmmaking world. And then Chris Newhart, uh, Chris, we thought there was something that was lacking and we knew we wanted to interview what we called everyday minimalists. We're like, we should get some opinions of some regular people. But right as we wanted to do that COVID hit, we were going to have a warehouse. We we're going to get them all in there, like funnel a bunch of people and just like have it look like, like really, real nice. And then Chris was like, but, have you guys ever seen those like reaction videos on YouTube that like, people love or like you people just do reaction videos and we were like yeah and he's like well why don't we just get people to sit and just honestly tell us their stuff and we were like cool and Netflix was like that's a great idea and so basically um we just did that for like I don't, it must have been 25 different people it was a ton of people they like did all these interviews with and then we just found these nice little moments and put them together and we're like hey this is a really cool human relatable little moment of just like um 
and actually what we did is we we built a a package where it was like a webcam that we bought individual ones for each person so it was all safe and we, we mailed all those to them that's like what i can <laughs> i was curious about that because like while yeah. i could tell it was like a webcam it was obviously of they were all pretty much the same quality like uh and so that's where i was like okay this must have been like during the pandemic because like all of a sudden like some interviews like you said are filmed a certain way like so me i, I was kind of like noticing that and just like huh uh, I'm definitely going to ask that because <laughs> the filmmaker side of me, like the logistics, I was like, oh man, if you were already filming some stuff and then thrown this and like, you got to try to finish. So, um, yeah, but, you, but you know what, I think the reason that we were, we were like, this is going to be like this, I, I think it worked, um, was because, and this is where YouTube has really made, and also Matt developed being a YouTuber. He just already knows so much about this. Like he lives in this universe anyway. And he, Matt edited the film. So it like really aligned with some of his vision and his style anyway. But it's like, it's, it's not that like those shots are lower quality. They're a different style. Yeah, exactly. Like, 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 I shouldn't like that, say that uh, yeah, certain quality, but like the camera and like the lighting and just like the setup and such. Well, it is technically a lower quality. That's true. Like the rest of the film is all shot on a red with like cook lenses. Like, like the rest of the film looks like great, but it's like, um, th that's just a webcam. Right. So it's like, but I think the reason it works is because like, that is a style, like people sitting in and making videos from their home is a style. And so it's like, I think that's a real advantage is that we're like, Hey, I think this really does work because it feels really authentic you know that we didn't coach people like this feels like them sitting in their home giving you their honest opinion about this and i think it comes across that way and so I, I, we at first we were like hesitant about it and then we were like you know what i think this adds a real level of like authenticity to the film that we were all really happy with yeah definitely i, I think you, you guys made it work uh, given the the <laughs> the situation you had no idea what happened when you started filming yeah, dude. So uh, when did you guys like kind of officially wrap uh, production? So um, we had gotten, we were basically, we were done with all of our premiere footage shooting. Um, uh, you know, we done like, well, all of it was done in 2019. We did all the other stuff, a few of the expert interviews. We did those like, those uh, everyday minimalist uh, webcam things. And then it was in like, it was in 2020, like, like, you know, Q3. So, you know, like fall time, we were, Matt was like, I need more B-roll. And so, and so Chris, Chris and, and Chris and our team, like went and shot a bunch of like a lot of those drone shots and a lot of that stuff. We just like went and shot a bunch of like neighborhoods and homes and just, just like spent a couple of days. We put together a shot list of a bunch of B-roll shots and like a lot of the shots, like people on their phones and stuff. And like, and looking at Amazon, all that kind of stuff. We did, um, we shot a lot of that like in 2020, just like with, you know, just we got the red and some lenses and just like got it done. Uh, and then I'd say uh, it was, um, it was, let's see, October ish. I'd say late October, we were at Picture Lock. And then we book light our team uh, and Chris Newhart, shout out to Chris. Uh, Chris Color Corrected the entire film as well. We did it all through post. Wow. So we worked with Netflix as a post-production team. And so we personally like delivered the film to Netflix. So I also learned about how that process works, which was super interesting. It's very technologically advanced. Uh, Netflix is also uh, kind of a pain in the ass in a good way. 
and that they have their entire own proprietary way to deliver a film that nobody else has. It's their own coding. So they have to teach you how to do it and then you do it only their way. It's, it's really, really, uh, it's really interesting how they do it. Um, but basically we finished that. It got color corrected. I'd say the film was wrapped, done with post-production, 100% sign off from Netflix, uh, first couple weeks of December and then launched in January. I mean, it was, it was, uh, we were working, we were working on that thing. I'd say up into three weeks of it going live. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Which I, I think that's something that's, it's so crazy to hear about because filmmaking there's sometimes you hear about things being worked on for years, you know, uh, or yeah. like it being green, uh, taking, you know, five to 10 years just to get greenlit and then maybe years yep. to get it like fully uh, funded and cast and all that stuff. Uh, so the fact that really you guys did that uh, from like your side of things in just about a year's time, uh, that's, that's wild. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, it seemed long and I suppose it also is <laughs> fast in some other weird way. Yeah, man, it was kind of crazy. And I think, uh, like, you make that comment, too, about, like, some, you know, there's stories of films that just take 10 years or forever to get greenlit or whatever in uh, finance, or you've just been working on it for so long. And I think that's, that's definitely true. I, I suppose one thing that, like, is unique about that, like, once you're, like, 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 like I think about, like, how we do it, um, we're probably developing right now, um, I'd say I'm in the process of developing four to five things to sell right now. Uh, like other things that we're doing right now that we're developing for like new, 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 uh, like narrative and documentary projects. And um, I say that to say that like, and then also we're doing our, all of our other work all of the time. And so, so a single project might um, like take a long time if you like flesh out that project from start to finish to happen. But we're doing so many things all of the time that I don't ever feel stagnant. I think just sometimes like how a project is viewed from start to finish can seem long if you if viewed it in a vacuum. But um, I suppose that, yeah, like we're just like really trying to like come up with as many good sellable ideas as possible all of the time. And, you know, 10% of those will hit. So if I've got 10 cooking, you know, I'll hit, something's going to go, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so uh, I think that's kind of how I think about it too. Like we're just really trying to develop stuff constantly and iterate and take an idea as far as we can take it. And if it ends up sucking, who cares? You know, throw away, start over. It doesn't matter. You know, just kind of do that process unendingly to some degree. For sure. So um, you mentioned, you know, how many things you got juggling uh, right now. Uh, can you share a little bit or like maybe talk? I mean, you said some are documentary, some are narrative. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, man, uh, well, I, like I, I mentioned earlier that like documentary we've been working on for like five years internally. Um, nothing really to say about that. that. That's a project that is like our baby will be our like big, big project. It's a, what I can say about that is it's a, it's a project about, it's a documentary but it would be a, like a half narrative, half documentary project. That's actually about um, uh, American Irish, uh, the, the American Irish radical movement. It's really fascinating. It's okay. really, it's about the history of like, Ameri uh, like American Irish terrorism. It's so badass and interesting. It's awesome. So we've been like, and I'm not even worried about it, like even saying that because we've been told by historians we've talked to 
we are the leading historians on this issue. Like I, like I know more about this, this <laughs> single subject wow. than like than like than like other historians do. Like like me and Chris and like our uh, Victoria, uh, some, one of a, a, a awesome person on our staff. Uh, we like the three of us know more about it than anybody else in the world. <laughs> uh, and, and, so we've been working on that for forever. We, um, Chris and I, actually started a second company. Um, that's a, a comedy development company. There's something you and I intersect with. Um, but so we um, have actually been putting out some sketch comedy that we've been developing with some stand-up comedians in uh, New York City and Philly that we're really excited about. Um, I actually think we have a few people looking at that. You know, who knows what's going to come of it? But um, so we've been developing some comedy work, and then um, uh, and then yeah, just more documentary work um, with uh, with uh, so we've been ch- trying to kind of with the minimalists a little bit about maybe what an with them might look like. Uh, you know, that'll take time, and Matt. Uh, and everybody and uh, yeah dude just just making shit man just trying to do what we can <laughs> and I'm, I'm actually developing a, a concept for a political show that i um i'm really interested in when i will not talk a lot about that because we're actually shopping it right now but um uh, even maybe uh, uh, some some show that would be interesting about uh, politics I, I i'm really passionate about the just kind of the the state of where we are in in the country and wanting to try and find some way to use the documentary medium to create some healing and education in relation to modern politics. So I'm trying to develop something in that lane as well. But yeah, dude, just, just all over the place, man. Just trying to do what, just trying to make good shit. And uh, you know, that's it, dude. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. No, that's, uh, I, I'm certainly interested, you know, much like uh, I enjoyed, you know, watching uh, your guys' latest film. Uh, I think considering that, you know, you obviously were thrown a curveball <laughs> at some point with the pandemic um and uh everything considered uh, you know i think it uh you know looks great uh one thing uh i was curious about um that i was going to ask actually was i noticed that like when you guys were doing some of the warehouse uh kind of main interviews uh with the minimalists um it felt almost kind of like like a one-man show like like you go to theater and you see like a one-man show opposed to like a traditional like sit down interview i was curious you know uh when uh was that an idea from them or like the director or because like that was one thing that to me stuck out in comparison to other documentaries where much like with the experts like they're sitting in a very nicely lit area and they're and they're talking and you know you got the lower third whereas like there's is more you know, they're walking in a warehouse and it's, it's lit, uh, like very bright. And I just was curious about that choice. Yeah, no, it wasn't very intentional. So it's actually also partially why we were so happy with, even with the webcam thing with the, with the other, the everyday minimalists. So um, we had expert interviewers throughout the entire film, but if we had interviewed and not even interviewed, if Josh and Ryan's kind of almost pseudo spoken word piece had been done in the same style we wanted to elevate and separate them and their narrative arc from just the other experts so i think when you watch the film josh and ryan feel separated and elevated from just sure. other experts who are giving giving their critiques and part of that was their standing it's lit differently it feels like a spoken word presentation of a piece um they had written it that way and so i think it really was an, an artistic attempt to be very clear where when they're on, they are kind of giving this spoken word presentation of their idea and their personal stories. When the experts are in, they're sitting down, 
they are giving critique on or data or information or or uh, you know uh, philo philosophical input on the concept of minimalism, and then the everyday minimalists are just authentically sitting on their you know couches, just like shooting the shit, trying to <laughs> you know talk about their life experiences. And so I think it really there's kind of a three tiers of of how the subject is being pro uh, portrayed. And I think it, it tears nicely in a way that separates them and also tonally feels correct when they're speaking it feels totally correct about how they're presenting their information and telling their stories when the experts are speaking that feels totally correct and then when the uh, uh, uh the everyday minimalists are giving their stories it also feels authentic and, and uh on tone with what we wanted it to be yeah for sure i i, I think that that definitely helps differentiate each uh, uh level uh, like you said the different tiers that yeah. as soon as you say that i was like yeah, that makes total sense. Uh, I, 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 it, it's something that I think, yeah, it certainly made it stick out as far as like, all right, these are experts that are just giving their opinions and, and, and uh, information. And then like you said, these are everyday, you know, people who, you know, converted to minimalism, you know, if you will, and sharing yeah, their experiences. Yeah. And then like, like you said, the, the actual, the minimalist, like this is their story. Um, and like kind of, showing it in a way that felt um you know like some documentaries go from the style of this is like the main interviewer and you may hear them asking the the subjects questions but like th this was a different kind of documentary it was like this is our story and so it's not quite about them like asking all the experts and whatnot that's where probably you guys kind of the and the director came in for that yeah, definitely. And also, this almost doesn't sound like a critique of our, my own film. Uh, not even as a critique of our film, but almost just my own personal critique of the documentary genre as a genre. It's like um, the traditional concept of a documentary film is that you would be documenting something, right? Where uh, this is before our film. The documentary genre does that sometimes where it's just pure observational documentary filmmaking. Um, but there's so many different ways that the documentary genre has evolved where there's sometimes films that really are almost like PSAs that are those creative PSAs, but yet that fits in the documentary genre. And so I think that's also what is unique about the film that we made is that it started as a Netflix special, like internally, like nobody knows that. Like it, that's, it was just like, hey, let's do the special on the minimalists and their life story. That would be interesting. We started making it and actually i don't even think they put it out as a i'm sure it falls categorically in netflix under documentary i would suppose but they put it out as a netflix film it's just called netflix film like, i don't even know if it's uh i'm not sure how they actually denote it but i think that's one thing that's interesting that we were also excited about was our film is like kind of a documentary it's also only 52 minutes long it's really short it's not like a this hour and a half or two hour film it's almost like this well, it's, short no pun intended it's minimal <laughs> yeah, dude. yeah for, for sure i mean we i think yeah, you got your message to... across without having to you didn't pigeonhole it into being the traditional 90 minutes totally and also you don't really want to like I, I mean it's like i don't really want to sit and watch that film more than it was like i thought it was good i thought it kind of leaves you like oh that was nice it's over great i watched that it was good i enjoyed it and it's over and i think to some degree um, this is where I think YouTube and, and other things have really changed the game is we we really think a lot of this stuff in relation to content. Like I think content is the concept that even these stu these uh, studios and streaming services use is 
having content and having a library of content. And so I think it's like, you know, it in some ways, the traditional genre boundaries, whether it's in music or film, are just shifting to instead asking yourself the question, did you make something interesting and valuable? If you did, then amazing. But I don't think we have to necessarily be as beholden to the traditional boundaries of genre anymore because the game has kind of changed, you know? Yeah, for sure. And uh, and, and yeah, I, I, I definitely think that it worked because like I could say from my personal experience watching it and I had a feeling with the subject matter, um, it's not that like I thought for myself, I'm like, well, I'm gonna be a minimalist, you know? Like it wasn't like trying to convince me per se, but like yeah. it did make me look around my apartment. Um, you know, I live in a one bedroom apartment by myself. And like, I was looking around and just thinking, you know what? I definitely should go through my closet and donate things. I should definitely look what stuff that has been under my bed ever since I moved here about a year ago, you know, things like that, that, uh, you know, I'm sure people do like a spring cleaning thing for, but it just, it really made me think, um, especially during the pandemic, you know, because uh, I'm not sure about you, but like, I'm someone who was working remote and I really interact with a small bubble. Uh, I get a lot of things delivered. I don't try to not go out as much without, you know, I do need to go out sometimes to stay sane, but for the most part I'm home. And so I noticed, I'm like, man, there's so much in my closet that I, I, I probably don't need, you know, there's uh, so many, uh, I, I love the one, uh, I, I can't remember their names of the minimalist, but he was talking about like going through his mom's house and he's like, why did she have 14 jackets? And she like lived in a warm area, you know, it's like, yeah, <laughs> it's little yeah. things like that where I'm like, yeah, do I need like this many sweaters or sweatshirts? You know, maybe uh, these don't fit right anymore, or I don't need this many uh, spatulas for when I'm cooking. You know, whatever it may be, I was just looking around my apartment, and sometime in the next week or two, I'm definitely going to either do what they brought up in the film, which is like maybe an item a day for a month, and then look at that box and think like, well, I guess I didn't need these things for the last month, or at least just do a general, like almost spring cleaning, but do it during the winter because it's just, it, it is a powerful message that, yeah, we do, we, we do have so many things, literally just like a couple thumb presses away. And, you know, I'm someone that I'm very Dude. guilty of, I, I'm an av, I, I use Amazon a lot because I love the convenience. How dare you? <laughs> I, I love the that's the thing is like the convenience and then you know especially during COVID it just it only escalated oh yeah uh, that it's like you know what maybe I don't want to go to the store just for garbage bags you know <laughs> well, and, and, and you know my, my my that's awesome dude I mean like if you feel like that's that'd be good for you go for it man I mean my two cents you know I'm not one of the minimalists my two cents is a producer on the film and just someone who was able to you know like live in this universe of this kind of thinking for, for like a, you know a while is and even uh trying with them privately just as like a friend is like i think the thing that i've really learned uh throughout making the film is like i i don't know if the if the question is because actually uh tk coleman makes this comment where like you're like i want my grocery store to sell me food it's not always like selling is bad or buying is bad like need to buy something buy something who cares i i think the question comes down to before you're buying anything 
are you slowing down and sure that it's a conscious decision that you went, I'm going to buy this because I genuinely want it. Something that is going to add value to my life. And like, like, is this adding value to my life? So the question is, am I choosing to buy this or is the advertising consumer culture making me feel like I should buy this? And if you can, for, and every person has to answer that question for themselves. Like, like that's not something any one person can tell you. It's like, like, listen, there are people who love fashion. Okay, go buy clothes. Who cares? It's your life. You can go do whatever you want to do. But if you're just buying shit because you think you should, or you're trying to keep up with your friends, or there's some kind of unhealthy culture you're a part of where you're like, I need to like buy all yeah, these things to be accepted. Where you, you that, think you have yeah. this expensive outfit makes you a better person or makes you think that people will l look at you in a better way opposed to, you know, same personality, same lifestyle, but just a slightly less expensive or like less number of outfits. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. And I, I, but it's like, yeah, I mean, totally, man. And it's just, when you wake up, when you leave your house, when you're living your life, are you independently and consciously asking yourself, what am I, is this thing that I'm doing today adding value to my life? Or is it adding value to the lives of other people around me? Or am I just a part of this, the tornado cycle of an unhealthy, toxic culture of buying stuff and consumerism and, and those kinds of things? Because I think if we just clean out our closets, I think Joshua says this in the film, but if we just clean out our closets, you know, you're they're going to be filled in two months you know what i mean but instead you know are you doing that hard work is any one person but i doing that that hard work of really slowing down and going do i feel like i'm in control of my purchases and you know the, the decisions i make in my life i to me that's that's what minimalism is about it's about intentionality of decision making that that's like my personal two cents about it yeah i think it's uh it definitely because that was the thing is like i'd heard of the concept and and got the general idea but watching the film it showed that it's it, it's not you know about people that have like you know tiny homes you, you know it's it's not that it's like no it's it's the fact that you don't need all these different maybe expensive watches or you don't need like the fancy car unless that's like a thing you genuinely want but uh yeah. are you just doing it because the general pressure and capitalism in our country is is like you should why not correct me if i'm wrong but it seems like everyone who was involved were they in their let's just say like upper 20s to like maybe upper 30s like the director and such uh yeah 28 to 40 that's the that's a millennial yeah that's a millennial yeah. So yeah, the reason, yeah. So I, it wasn't just to bring up the fact that uh, I, I didn't want to say like, oh, was this made by millennials? But it was just like, I think that our age range in particular, and you know, like us being 28, we may be some of the last like of the generation that like, we remember before internet was like, so popular before cell phones oh, yeah. were all and, and so not only consuming information, but having access to get things, uh, to get stuff wasn't so easy. And so like we've seen the growth, the, yeah. you know, Amazon not really being a thing to it, just being on everyone's phone and become so big that it also produces films and movie, uh, films and TV shows. So I think that's one thing that I, I, I think it, why it hit me and I think a lot, it'll hit a lot of people in our age range is like, you know, we do, remember life before like a huge technology boom and 
internet and social media you know we were in middle school when like facebook became a thing so it's like we remember life we're we're not so young that we don't remember it but also we're old enough uh we're right in that sweet spot i think and so we're you know anyone in their 30s and probably lower 40s we're all in that sweet spot of remembering life before um to where it's like yeah i could totally understand if people our age became hoarders because they hit two buttons and then within the next two days they could have you know they, they could furnish their entire apartment you know <laughs> like that's how oh, easy yeah. you can get stuff from uh wherever it is like i remember growing up and like going to like look for a couch like my parents would just walk to all these different stores and you know walk up and down the aisles and like sit on the different couches look at the different styles and colors and go to uh, check and then you go to all these different places and you try to get the price now there's probably so many apps that are like you want that couch here's that price here's that thing da 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 when do you want it shipped <laughs> well you no know, totally and, and that's another thing too right where, where, where it's like that you, the technology boom is really important. Uh, that's a really good point because, like for example, let's use Amazon. Amazon is the best example where it's like your anything you want is a click away, and then like maybe it could be to you next day. Now that sounds like evil in some capitalistic way. Maybe it is. Who cares? Whatever. Maybe it is. But I think what's interesting is you still can be in control of whether or not you buy them in the first place, and also. The fact that technology has gotten to the place and these companies have gotten to the place where you can get things almost instantaneously, that is amazing. That, that's part of the reason people got through COVID. That's part of the reason why um, we, like, like that's supplying, um, that, that's able to get serious supplies and demands to people in uh, um, food deserts in the middle of like places that like don't have good resources to food. Like, like technology can, add so much value to society and it has added so much value to society it becomes a problem is when we become slave to consumerism but we can still have these amazing consumer-friendly products without being slave to consumerism where you can still take all the advantages of having these technologies but not but not be slave to the the sold need to buy things all of the time. I think if you can live in that sweet spot of being in control of your habits and your impulses while still living in a world where you have these consumer-driven products, that's a pretty sweet spot to be in. It makes a lot of sense. And um, much like the film that you worked on, I, I, I think it's an important message. And you know, uh, we're all sitting at home and, and watching things anyway. I, I definitely recommend throwing on uh, Minimalism Less Is Now on uh, Netflix. Uh, because uh, as we were talking about it, it's only about 50 minutes. So I'm sure you've been watching tons of other things, throw it on. Um, and maybe, you know, it'll cause you to clean up some things or to donate some things or to sell some things and then use that money for something that makes more sense, you know, whatever it may be. Uh, it, I, it definitely got me thinking. Um, so I think it's, uh, and that's, that's, oh, I, I don't want to say that that's always like, what I look for in a documentary, but like it's something that I always enjoy and then go and start telling other people about it is when it does get me to think. So I, I recommend it and I'm not biased because I know Jake. <laughs> um, uh, I, I just enjoyed it as a viewer. So um, please check it out. Uh, 
Jake, uh, is there anything else you'd like to like plug, you know, maybe social media or a website for your company, anything like that? Oh, sure. If you want to follow my little life, I'm at JCB Matthew on Instagram. You can follow our company at, at Booklight Co on Instagram. I think that's where our Instagram is. Um, Booklight.co is our company. Uh, Booklight's our company, but their website's Booklight.co. And yeah, thanks, man. Just thanks for having me. No, I got nothing to plug, dude. I'm just here hanging out, <laughs> trying to do stuff. Uh, I, uh, I, you know, as a film producer, I like, I'm in this funny little pocket where like, I'm actually really grateful to be where like, I will, I will likely never be personally famous. And I'm kind of pumped about it, man. I am not trying, I am not trying to like be known by everybody, bro. Like I'm just trying to like, you don't want that pressure. Hey, like I'm happy to be the guy that like provides value to those who are and like add value to their lives and helps them stay healthy and make good stuff and whatever. But, um, yeah, man. You know, what, 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 however, I can add value to people's lives, whether that's somebody listening to this and encouraged by that. You know, you know, you pursue your dream. You have this, this, uh, you know, thing you're trying to run after. My encouragement to anybody listening to this is just, I think maybe that first thing I was saying is just, there's that. It's tempting to ask yourself the question, "What's your dream?" I think the the better, healthier question is, "What am I great at?" And what, what could I be great at? Because when I asked myself that question, my life changed in a very positive direction. All right. Well, thanks again for coming on, Jacob. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, have to see, have you on again for the next thing you drop. <laughs> Sounds good, dude. I love it. Sounds great, man.